That's good. This is this is uh, life lessons with Bill Barnwell right here. <laughs> no, it's not. Welcome to the Bill Barnwell Show. I am Bill Barnwell. Today, I'm going to be talking about why the Patriots should not move on from Bill Belichick, but that will be a little later. Joining me first to talk about some of our preseason priors, our opinions, our feelings, our predictions, and whether we want to abandon them after six weeks or not. Joining me to do that is my friend, Seth Walter. Seth, how are you? I'm great. How are you, Bill? I'm good. And I am excited to say that having talked about this topic with you before the show, I believe all of our opinions are basically aligned. So I'm excited to see. um, We're starting from similar priors, and I want to see how we each feel about them after six games. And and admitted, like some of these are kind of obvious, six weeks, I should say. Some of these are obvious, like I'm fully abandoning the idea that the Broncos are going to be good, especially that they would be competent on defense. That was extremely wrong of me. But there are other ideas that I think are more sort of in the middle ground, in the gray area of have we seen enough to prove that they're no longer relevant or enough to say that, or not enough to say that. And you're still willing to hold on to that preseason prediction, figuring things will come right. And sometimes it might feel like there's been so much evidence to the contrary, but that's absolutely not the case. And I think about last year's Lions as a classic example where I think a lot of the evidence that the Lions were going to be better last year, they were pretty much exactly the same infuriating, frustrating team as they had been the prior year when they started one and six, and then they won seven of their remaining nine games and finished with a winning record. So tough to gauge whether you want to abandon your prior or uh, or hold on to it continually deep into the NFL season, but that's what our conversation is for today. So Seth, I'm going to give you the opportunity to spell out the priors, and then we can talk about them from there. So let's start with one that you are willing to abandon and throw into the void, uh, an opinion you had from before the NFL season began, that after the first six weeks of the year, you're willing to throw away and say, hey, I was wrong. I remember back in, I don't know what month it was, the spring, sitting on my couch, I get a random DM from Bill Barnwell. He says, win totals are up. Look, tell me your first first reaction. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like me. Do it now. And uh, it was less demanding. Yes. It was a kinder. It was a kinder. I don't, I don't know. Like, frankly, do it now is the level of attention I, I demand <laughs> from my Twitter DMs. So I, uh, but that, that, that all checks out. I remember I said Packers over seven and a half immediately. And, uh, and I felt pretty good about that. And in fact, over the course of the, off season as your opinions evolve i just went further and further into this corner and i felt like you know what what's the difference even between the packers and lions the packers are going to win the nfc north my feeling at the time was packers have a lot going for them like 
Yo, wow, their offensive line gets healthy, and all of a sudden that's like a really good group. Christian Watson had a had a breakout, I believe, in the second half of last season. Okay, their defense has a lot of talent. They didn't they didn't even really have Jair Alexander last year. Uh, this is a team that could be really good if they can just get some some medium play from Jordan Love. And I'll give one caveat, which is like injuries have, I mean, they have not gotten five games out of Alexander, Devondre Campbell, David Bakhtiari, obviously, Elton Jenkins, Aaron Jones, Christian Watson. Like it's it's been a rough go. So I did put that together and think like, oh, am I am I going too quick? But man, I also watched them play on Monday night and I did not feel great about them. And I feel like also there's some there's some warning signs here with Jordan Love where we may not be getting that that necessary level of quarterback play. The the accuracy metrics are concerning to me. He's last in the league in completion percentage over expectation. So that's accounting for the fact that he throws so deep. Like even given that he should be completing more passes. And there's been some drops problems, but we're evaluating the team here. Like the drops problems are over the players that are here. So I look at them, I look at the Lions, I see two teams that do not feel close to each other. Mm -hmm. But I don't know, you tell me, am I I going too far? What do you think? Well, let me start by saying I was with you wholeheartedly and independent of you. It was not like you had to talk me into the Packers being good. I loved their roster. I had questions about Jordan Love, of course, but... I looked at what they'd had last year from Aaron Rodgers, who did not play great football last season. And I said, okay, well, they don't need to be that much better at quarterback to be a competitive team. They were getting Rashawn Gary back from an injury from a torn ACL, which is a super talented player. And he's been very good this year in, in limited snaps. But I looked at the offensive line and thought, well, it's healthy. Like, like David Bakhtiari's there. Like he's there week one. We're not, we're not worried about the injuries in the way we were in years past i was concerned about maybe the inexperience of the receivers perhaps but felt good about them i'm like hey like matt lafleur really good coach won a lot of games with aaron Rodgers, exceeded his pythagorean expectation pretty significantly three years in a row maybe maybe he's got some late game magic not so far um i i i, I think you laid out the very fair arguments for why they've struggled and the injuries have been frustrating, but like David Bakhtiari getting hurt should not be, that's not like a random guy getting hurt. Like your, your, your preseason expectation for David Bakhtiari probably should not be 17 games. And I think maybe that was something I look back on and say, even though he is healthy week one, what are the chances he is healthy for the entire season? Now, admittedly, sort of like the Aaron Rodgers injury, did not think he was going to get hurt in week one and be done for the entire season. And Elton Jenkins and Aaron Jones and Christian Watson all being out for stretches of time, those are really good football players, uh, the best players on the Packers at their respective positions. But I think the biggest argument that I had for the Packers playing well this year was the idea that Jordan Love was ready. And I was willing to take the Packers' word for it. I was willing to look at the fact that they had let Aaron Rodgers leave, essentially. They traded them. They got a significant haul, but they were ready to move on from Aaron Rodgers because they were confident Jordan Love was ready. And we've seen teams, when they've made that move in the past, 
it's generally worked. The Chargers let Drew Brees leave and promoted Philip Rivers. Philip Rivers was good from day one. The Packers traded Aaron, uh, Brett Favre retired, and they traded Brett Favre and he wanted to come back. Promoted Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers was good. The Packers did not have a good season that year, but Aaron Rodgers was good enough from the jump to earn an almost immediate contract extension. Jordan Love is not playing that way. And we can blame the line. We can blame the injuries to Christian Watson. We can blame the drops. But Jordan Love is not a player who looks like he's playing great football and he's being held back by the drops. Jordan Love is struggling. And if you're going to make the case that the Packers are going to be on the same level as the Lions, which I feel good about, which you feel good about, you can't really make that case if Jordan Love is a developing quarterback prospect as opposed to a solid starter right now. So I think there were reasons to believe the Packers would be good, some of which maybe we should not have seen coming, or maybe some some of them we should have seen coming, and some of which were, you know, trying to read the tea leaves, and as it turns out, the tea leaves were inaccurate. I like what you're saying, though, about listening to the Packers, but not through their words, because every team talks up their players or whatever, but like through their actions, it's like, yeah, I mean, you, you probably aren't looking to trade away Hall of Famers if you feel like you have nothing behind them. And so, but you know, we know teams are not, you know, they're, they're imperfect at evaluation too, maybe, you know, right. So uh, of course, but I agree with you. Like ultimately that is the toughest case even if we say hey they're going to get some of these players back they're going to get to play Rashawn Gary more they're going to get to be healthier down the stretch the quarterback part is really hard to overcome yes and the other argument that I think I was downplaying that I heard from other people who I respect about the Packers is well they've had a lot of talent on defense for years and they have joe barry as their coordinator and joe barry is consistently getting less out of that talent than it looks like on paper and well injuries have been a problem they they were down their top two inside linebackers the second half against the raiders they lost darnell savage um this defense is not great it's okay it's fine it's better than the offense but it's not as if this defense is a significant differentiator for the packers and it's it's funny because there's slightly different universes where we're either feeling great about our priors or feeling terrible. Like this Packers team lost to the Falcons 25-24, where I believe they had a they had a 24-12 fourth quarter lead and blew it. They lost they won 18-17 over the Saints where they were down 17-3 in the fourth quarter or 17-0 in the fourth quarter and came back with a couple of scores when Derek Derek or Derek Carr. Derek, Derek Carr got hurt. And then last week against the Raiders, um, I believe Christian Watson was about to score. He gets horse collared um, on a just a blatantly dirty play. The Packers don't score. They settle for a field goal. And then the Raiders score a touchdown and win the game in the fourth quarter. So h- how do you value that when it comes to evaluating your priors? Like there's an scenario where the Packers, where all those close games go their way, which has happened for teams in the year in, in seasons past, including the Packers, frankly. And they could be four and one and we'd be sitting here saying yeah they lost to the lions but look they have so many positives and you know they're finding ways to win games how do you separate that from your evaluation of a team and your evaluation of you know what you were feeling about them heading into the season i like to think i hope i guess we don't know because they're not four and one or they're not 
they're not, they're not one and four, but I like to think that the, the, the real numbers would still guide us. Like if, if there's no horse color on that play, then, you know, right now the, the Packers are 20th in EPA per play. They probably would be 20th or maybe 19th if there's no horse collar on, on that play. And so I would still, I think, look at this team and say, I, I, I hope I would look at them the way that maybe we looked at Minnesota a year ago or the Giants a year ago and say, the record is what it is. That's going to help uh, maybe our over seven and a half bet, but it doesn't mean that they're like truly uh, going to, I wouldn't feel that great about their chances to, if they were 4-1, I wouldn't feel that great about their chances to win the NFC North still right now because they still would be the same team that they are. The game would would help in the standings, of of course, but ultimately I would much, much rather be the Lions given just like their overall production. So I like to think that the per play level base, the per play level stacks stats are where we where we lean. No question, though, wins and losses influence us all, though. We're course. human, but I I agree with you. So you're you're abandoning the Packers, competing with the Lions. Are you willing to at least hold out hope for your Packers over seven and a half? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think that that is. I was looking at it just a minute ago. I think we have them. FPI projects them at 7.7 wins. So that's that's over. That's over. Seven point seven is over seven and a half. I don't know if you yeah. can send that to uh to DraftKings, but do your best. I'll try and cash it in right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I you know, certainly they could get hot. Certainly Jordan Love could improve, and they are gonna have a healthier offense Bakhtiari aside. Well, we hope that they're gonna have a healthier offense Bakhtiari aside moving forward. So all is not lost. They get the Broncos in week seven. So you have that going for you. If you ever want to kickstart your offense like the Bears did, just play the Broncos in Denver and you'll be fine. They get the Broncos, the Vikings without Justin Jefferson, and then the Rams, the Steelers, not the stiffest competition after their bye week. So maybe this will be a scenario where they win a win four straight and we get yelled at by Packers fans for jumping off the bandwagon because of one ugly loss at home to the Raiders or on the road against the Raiders. But uh, I'm, I'm prepared to say the Lions are better than the Packers. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8 Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Give me a, a prior that you are holding on to from before the season. One you still believe in, even when the evidence so far this year has not confirmed what you were hoping. So I was all in on Miami in the, in the offseason, and part of it was because of the offense, but part of it was because of the defense. Like, you know what you just described about Green Bay's defense and looking at that team on paper, and then they sort of have underperformed what is on paper? I looked at this Miami defense, and I think, wow, that is a lot of talent, and you're bringing in Vic Fangio. And so those two things together, to me, even – even after the Jalen Ramsey injury, 
to me felt like this was a defense that could be like, I mean, with Ramsey, honestly, I thought they could be special. And then even without him, maybe still very good. I think you and I both are longtime Jalen Phillips believers. Um, Bradley Chubb is a, Bradley Chubb ranks second in pass rush win rate right now, which is shocking to me uh, with a, the, a massive asterisk in that if you remove games, I was, cause I was curious every time I was watching players who were doing better than expected in pass rush win rate, I was watching their plays and they all played the giants. And, uh, <laughs> and so I was like, well, let's, what, are, what if I, what if I look at the universe of pass rush win rate, if, but you're not allowed to play the Giants. And in that world, Bradley Chubb drops to 12th. So that's like a pretty far, pretty, pretty far drop, like for just one opponent. Um, he really got lucky with backup tackles over there. Um, but like Christian Wilkins is amazing. Uh, Xavier Howard, we know what he we know what he can do. Cater Kohu is a great slot corner. I know he's been playing some outside. They have good linebackers. Javon Holland is back there. Like it all makes it all should be great. Now it hasn't. It hasn't been. I, I don't think it's been like bad. Uh, but the there have been sort of middling to below average. I think they're twenty second in EPA per play on that side of the ball. Obviously, the offense has scored a lot of points. One thing I will say: this is a little bit of cherry picking. I'm gonna. But I looked at it. Vic Fangio when he's been defensive coordinator in the past since twenty. I think we have. Since let's well, say since 2011, I think when he started in San Niner, Francisco, Niners, yeah. yeah. So so um, when he's been defensive coordinator, I looked at how his defenses have performed in the first half of the season and the second half of the season, and there has been a notable improvement from first half to second half. Um, is that so? Is, I like is that just noise? Is it that? His the teams are able to learn the defense better. This was not really a thing that would, if you only look at his first season in places. So mm-hmm. um, maybe that works against me. But it's like I don't know. It's like a little bit of a something in my in my brain that's like, hey, okay, maybe it just takes a little time here, and this group could be good. And the whole point of like the reason why I thought Miami could be good is like if they could be a top five offense and defense at the end of the year, right? Because right now their offense is going to be good enough to to put them in the postseason, And then the question is what happens after that? So I am, I am in on Miami's defense still. And then you can uh, talk to me like a rational person and tell me I'm, I'm wrong. He, he, here's what I'll say, Seth. And, and I, you know, I respect your work and you know, I think you're very smart, but here's what I would say about your oh, argument no. about, about Fangio and the second half improvement. Let's flip it. Let's say, Let's say you thought the the Dolphins defense was going to decline and they got off to how how would we flip this? No, let's let's leave that aside. Let's just say the idea that Vic Fangio's defenses showed a traditional second half decline where they got worse as the season went along and i made the argument or someone made the argument i'll leave me out some random person on the internet makes the argument of hey people figure out vic fangio defenses you just you get it on tape and you know teams are able to figure it out there all, all the, the the bracket stuff is too obvious they don't play enough unique coverages they don't disguise what they do well enough um would you buy that argument no, not even close. So, so would you buy the argument that they're going to get better? Probably not. 
that's, that's how I tested for myself. That's good. This is this is uh, life lessons with Bill Barnwell right here. <laughs> no, it's not. No, you know what? This is a perfect encapsulation of like someone who I, like I have this thought in my brain. I have had it for months, months and months. This defense should be good. And what? I'm just going to let five games of below average performance like four, 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 four games of below. Because they're good against the Giants. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, everybody is uh uh like gonna gonna take me out of it i mean yes this is me this is me clinging but i think that you could but like the raw okay and that's actually not even fair it, it's two really it's really just the chargers and and bills games yeah. that were fine against the patriots and i mean they allowed 20 points to the broncos because they were up 50 you know like it wasn't like they were um allowing points early in that game and it was a contest right 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 and i still think like ultimately the quality of the roster still matters even no question. Like we, you know, I, I think that allows for the possibility of a top ten defense from this point forward, in a way that I would be more skeptical of of other defenses that have been below average. Mm-hmm. No question. No question at all. I, I don't. I don't disagree with you. I was with you until that argument. <laughs> I, was like, hmm, I don't know about this one. If you, if I said to you, what are the chances that Miami is? top 10 in defensive EPA per play from this point forward to the end of the regular season, what would you say? So I guess the baseline would be like close to a third. Yeah. Right? I guess like 30%, yeah. Little, yeah I, I'd probably, I'd probably be about 30%. Like I, 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 I think there are maybe right around random because we have a little bit of evidence that they're not actually as good as they look on paper, but we also have Ramsey coming back and, and we saw in that bills game, if you remember, it was very distinctly the Bills going after the players who were not Safian Howard, a cornerback. Kadir Kohu had a very rough game. Justin Bethel, who's playing regular snaps for them, Justin Bethel's a special teams guy. Like he is not a a player who teams have typically used as a NFL cornerback. He, he takes snaps here and there, but I'll, I'll get the numbers. Like that is a surprise that he's playing as often as he is. So he plays, he's played 115 snaps so far. That's more than he's played. He played 123 last year in a full season. So he's played almost as many snaps as he did last year for the Dolphins all year. And he had not played that many defensive snaps over the 2018, 2019, 2020, and 2021 seasons combined. He played uh, about 60 defensive snaps over that four-year stretch. So, you know, it makes sense that that would be a very obvious blinking light, glaring weakness on this defense. Um, they haven't had Jalen Phillips for the Bills game. He was out. Um, I think he's still injured. Andrew Van Ginkle has been surprisingly effective um, as a situational rusher, but they haven't really even had Emmanuel Ogba very often, who's coming back from an injury. He just had a sack and a half against the Giants. Um, you know, so uh, I, I think there are reasons to believe that if this defense is healthy, they'll be a top 10 unit. And I think the names on paper are very exciting. I think what I have learned from the first five weeks or first five games is just, you know, beyond that top tier, if you get to the depth on this defense, especially when it comes to linebackers, when it comes to cornerbacks, when it comes to safeties, that's a little concerning. Like they might not have the pieces behind their star players. And I think, um, you know, as they try to be a top 10 defense over the rest of the season, having Jalen Ramsey for half the year as opposed to a quarter of the year might be the difference maker in terms of their chances being 20% or 40%. Yeah, that makes sense. And like you mentioned, 
Kohu in that Buffalo game, he's playing outside because against Stefan Diggs because they don't have Ramsey. And then if you have yeah. Ramsey back now, all of a sudden it's kind of like a, a two for one. You get Ramsey and then you get Kohu is a good slot corner to playing in the slot all the time. So Dolphins one, I can see why you would hold on to it. I, I did not share your optimism before the year. So I will not be alongside for the ride, but I do think they'll be better than they have been. And I do think that uh, if they could play the Giants three or four more times, that would help. Give me another prior that you are willing to abandon and throw overboard. What is an opinion that you held before the year that you're willing to give up? This is me stretching the definition of the question you asked, but I've been thinking a lot about, I'm not a person that has a lot of like draft of strong draft takes going into the draft. Right. Um, Like sure. Some weak ones, but like by and large, I'm resigned to the fact that like the best predictor of uh, these players is probably their draft position. And it's because of that, that I think about two rookies in particular who have moved in five weeks so far from their draft position that I like I, I, I it's hard for me to I wonder if it's abnormal. So I think the first one is obvious in Puka Nakua. Like we're talking about fifth round player, and if we redrafted today, like Bill, am I crazy to say if we redrafted today, I think he'd be a first half of the first round player? Hmm, that's a good question because it's not as if he is the kind of player where he's been like he was a really athletically gifted raw player who you know happened to fall and then once he succeeded people were like well you know like we we maybe undervaluated his ability like he's not Mm -mm. that kind of player he's a player who like doesn't blow away people doesn't look awesome on film it's not super fast not super big not super strong you know but gets open and I still feel like there would be teams who would say, mm, like, it's just Sean McVay, you know, that role in the offense, like the same people who like, what well, be a good example? Like, like, so my friend Dominique Foxworth, I do his show every week uh, on Sunday nights, and he is of the volition that Cooper Cup is not a, a superstar wide receiver because he's not someone who's going to burn you deep. Mm-hmm. And we can, we can, uh, we can attack that idea, but I do believe there are NFL teams who feel that way and say, oh, well, that's more a creation of Sean McVay. Anyway, this is a really roundabout answer to say, I, I I think he would go in the first round for sure. I don't know that every team in the top half of the first round would feel like he was a top half of the first round pick, but I do believe at least one or two would feel that way and take him. So roundabout answer, yes. So that's pretty, that's pretty crazy to me. Like, I don't know if we would have had... It's harder to do it that this direction than the other direction. I'm trying to think of a player that five weeks in we would go that far, have gone that far on after five weeks. Tyreek, mm? uh, no, in a negative way or a positive way? No, like I mean, is there a player in the past few years who was drafted in say like rounds four through seven, a day three pick, who after five weeks we would say slam dunk first rounder or maybe even the first half of the first round? It's a hard. I like I I don't know. I, I mean, we didn't see Brock Purdy play, but... Well, there, but that's what I'm saying. It's like, we didn't see Brock Purdy play. It's like, you know, Tom Brady wasn't playing. Like, uh, uh, I don't think Tyreek Hill was was in those in the very beginning of his... 
rookie season. No, he was really a return guy in like a third or fourth receiver. Yeah. Um. I, yeah. I, I, I would say maybe Tariq Woolen with the Seahawks. Okay. He yeah. Was, he was pretty good from the jump. Maybe, maybe Trey Smith a couple of years ago yeah. with the Chiefs where it was like, okay, he's an NFL caliber guard, but he probably wouldn't have gone. He wouldn't have been a first round pick though. Yeah. Yeah. Woolen maybe because he's a cornerback and cornerbacks do go pretty high. Um, but you're absolutely correct. Like it is really hard to make that kind of leap in, in the first four games of your NFL career. And I, I, you know, like, like it'd be hard to argue against it with Buka. I'm just blown away by his numbers. Like, I really think it's, it's wild. And no matter what you say about or the offense geared towards him, I mean, we're still talking about like, he's got the fifth highest target in the league. He's got a, you know, his open score is not incredible. I think it's a 68 um, but it's like, that's good. That's very good. Yeah. You know, for first five games in your career. Uh, so. Right. Okay. So the other direction, I think Tyree Wilson, I'm not yeah. sure he would go in the first two rounds and he was a top first two top 10. Wow. I'm not sure. Maybe he would. I mean, here's okay. He's a 4% pass oh. rush win rate. Okay. You know, you know who the, the obvious person we forgot about was who Dak. Yes. Yes. That's good. Yes. Dak would have been a first round pick. But Sorry. I, I didn't mean, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, you, that's good. But I, but I know if I didn't mention that people were going to be like yelling at their, their podcast feed. So I just had to say that please continue. No, perfect. Perfect call. I'm sure. I mean, like what a terrible job asking this question to any four through seven round round player. Like I'm sure there are others that we are missing uh, that people are yelling into their headphones about, but that that's probably number one. So good call. Uh, okay. Tyree Wilson, four, Tyree Wilson, 4% pass rush win rate. He has an incredibly slow get off second slowest get off in the league uh, in terms of uh, time to cross the line of scrimmage. He's at like one point, Oh four or 1.05 seconds, which is almost twice as long as it takes Miles Garrett to get across the line of scrimmage. Like a tenth is a big amount of time in this in that stat, and like a tenth of a second. It's like Miles Garrett is 0.6 seconds. He's come down a little bit. He was, he was hanging in the 0.5s. Uh, and uh, so slow. And Tyree Wilson is so slow, and. I just wonder, 4% pass rush win rate, by the way, is like a quarter of what an average edge rusher does. Um, mm-hmm. And I know he was, I know that's like, uh, okay, develop and all that. But wow, do I wonder if if you're a team and you if you've seen this, which I think is like a, a level like well below, say what Walker, Trayvon Walker did a year ago. And which would maybe be a maybe be a comparison. Like I, I, to me, mm-hmm. I'm not convinced he go he would go in the first two rounds today. Maybe he maybe he sneaks into the back of round two. But we're talking about a, a player that was a top ten pick. Like mm-hmm. it's, so that's a dramatic fall. Yeah, and I think what's interesting about this particular player is I think about the Clellan Farrell situation mm. with the Raiders a couple of years ago, where. I think a lot of people saw him as like a late first round pick. I don't remember where he went in Mel Kuyper's last mock, but I believe it was he was like generally seen as like a a 20s first round pick and he went 3 and people were shocked. People could not believe he went that high. With Tyree Wilson, 
this was a guy who was pretty much, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Seth, but I believe a consensus top 10 pick. Like oh, there was yes. talk he was going to go as high as high as three. I think there was like a time not that long before the draft when he might have been favored to go. I think if I recall, he there was a time he was favored to go first defensive player. Yeah, ahead of Will. There was talk about him sneaking ahead of Will Anderson. Um, so I think that tells you this is a player who we saw what happened on draft day, but there was at least conversation, enough smoke around the league that he was being portrayed as a top 10 player. So that is the reason I would feel like somebody would take a flyer on him before round three. But I do think there's a legitimate question about whether he would go in the first round and whether he would be someone teams would really want to target in the second round. Because remember, you know, when you have players being taken in the second round, a lot of time, those players have first round grades in those respective buildings. They just didn't go in the first round. So, um, you know, not not all the players in the second round, of course. Some teams might only have 15 or 16 or 18 first round grades. But I would say in general, there are a lot of teams who are comfortable who have first round grades and players they take, especially in the first half of the second round. So I, I think that's a legitimate concern. And the, the the tough part for me in evaluating, and I think you gave some really good numbers, is I do believe there is a Raiders tax on some of these players where I think some teams might just say, yeah, but the Raiders don't know what they're doing. So we'll just coach them better and we'll get more out of him. And Tyree Wilson's athletic you know, feats are impressive. But I think the get-off numbers you provided are really meaningful when it comes to evaluating here because you're not seeing a player who is struggling to get off blocks. You're not seeing a player who um, you know, is getting double teamed. You're seeing a player who's not getting off the ball. Like That is the simplest thing you can do. Um, and that is not something I think that's a teaching problem. That is a that is a, a athletic or a, a U problem. And I, I would have major pause. I don't know if any, I don't know if every single NFL team would feel the same way, but you've at least convinced me that I would not want to take Tyree Wilson in the first two rounds. There you go. That my, what you just said is also the reason why I am sold. I think we see players who, yeah, like you said, struggle to get off blocks, have to develop their pass rush moves, but I haven't done a, this is anecdotal. I haven't done a study on it, but Every time I look at those get-off numbers, they are very stable from year to year. That is just, like you said, that's like a quality of a of a player. Like Miles Garrett and TJ Watt and guys like Josh Sweat and Bryce Huff, they're always going to be at the top. They always are and they, they always have been and they always will be. And then you have much worse pass rushers at the bottom. And it does seem to be just the same guys every year. And that's where I think like, ooh, are you like how would I feel confident I could you could develop that player into being a great pass rusher? I don't think so. So yeah, maybe maybe you and I aren't taking him till round three, and uh, and who knows about the league? It's tougher to predict. Here's the question I would ask you. Okay, let's leave everything else aside. That the Raiders don't know how anybody else in the draft does, but they do know what Tyree Wilson did in the first five games. Do you think they take Tyree Wilson? Where they took him again. Wait, say this again. They 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 know what Tyree Wilson did, but they don't know what anybody else. So yeah, the, the Raiders got to see the first five weeks of Tyree Wilson, but everyone else is a blur. They know exactly as much as they know about everyone else as they did heading into draft day. So you don't get to find out that Pukunaku right. is actually a top ten pick. Oh, no, I mean unless they're unless they're like unless their prior clinging is so strong. No way. But they're the Raiders, and they're an NFL team. Like, like, do you think they've been sufficiently convinced that Tyree Wilson is, is not a first-round caliber player? 
That's a hard question for me to answer. There's no, there's no correct answer. I'm just intrigued to see what you I think. know. I know. Well, no, I'm curious. I mean, I hope I would hope I would, I would hope. Yes. I mean, yeah, I think that I think they're not taking him at, they're not taking him in the first round if they've seen what, what's, what's going on here. So I, I, I would say no. I mean, look at the jets. There's the jets clung to their Zach Wilson prior through most of year two and frankly given that he was the backup quarterback like they didn't treat him as the starter but they still going on they're clinging on to their prior right now that zach wilson's not costing them games that second half of against the uh against the chiefs bought bought those priors like another five more games right like like i think something that i i do hear from people who work for teams who you know like invariably there's going to be situations where a guy gets drafted and general managers on board, owners on board, coaches on board, people below them in organizations are not necessarily as, you know, bought into, um, you know, those players. And you'll hear from people in organizations like, yeah, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not using Zach Wilson as an example. I'm, 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 gonna, I'm sorry, I'm using him as an example. This is not in reference to Zach Wilson, but I'm going to use him and his situation is like the kind of thing I hear from people on other teams about other players. Like you'll hear like, yeah, Zach Wilson had a great preseason game. And so, you know, the general manager was thrilled. Like he, he was like, you know, checking Twitter to see, oh, what do the haters think now about Zach Wilson or, um, you know, the, the, the performance against the chiefs where he was good for a couple of drives or the second half against the Broncos where he was good before throwing that interception. Like, you know, the, these, fans do this they'll cling on to their priors they'll be desperate analysts do it too i think we both do it um or i know i do it um but 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 you'll hear from people in the league like even when the vast vast majority of people have been convinced that this guy is not good or this guy's not a star like you'll hear about coaches or gms or or you know positional coaches or executives like using the tiniest scantest bit of evidence as proof that they're still actually right. And it, it, it makes it more relatable to me. It makes yeah. me feel more human. Like these guys are just like us, you know, like they, they, they want to believe that their initial opinion was correct. So that's the only reason I would be skeptical that the Raiders might feel differently about Tyree Wilson. But I, I think outside of an injury, it's gone about as poorly as it could have for a top 10 pick so far. They are looking at Vic Fangio first half, second half splits, just yes. like us. <laughs> no question. They're like, they're like, give me the first half, second half pass rusher splits. Like what are these top 10 picks doing? Like, Miles Garrett's going to figure it out. Finish up with this one. One more prior that you still believe in, even if it hasn't gone your way to start the year. This is one. There's basically no no numbers here, and that's sort of the point. Okay. Like I like I said before, I feel like you know draft capital is is by far the best way to predict any of these rookies. And something I felt that I know I know I expressed to you from a fantasy perspective was that Jameson Williams. Is probably going to be a really good receiver, Ooh, and okay. In some ways, it's gone really poorly, right? You know, or it feels in, like in in some ways. In some what ways. is the way where it hasn't gone poorly? He said, "I'll, I'll spin it that way." It's uh, <laughs> okay. It feels like everything has gone wrong, right? Okay, yes. Let me put it that way. It has, but yes. actually, in some ways, all that's gone wrong is that he hasn't been on the field and yes i think that to me is where it's like what did we think of him as a player before he was the 12th overall pick 
but he was the 12th overall pick coming off of a serious injury, right? When the Lions took him, they knew that his first season was going to be compromised. It sure makes me think, where would he have been taken if he hadn't gotten hurt at the end of his college career? And so that, like, if he was 12th with the injury, I don't think top five is crazy for with being fully healthy, right? Would you agree with that? Uh, I mean, guess. This is a year when when Trayvon Walker went first overall. That's true. That's a good point. So yes, we'll we'll say we'll say top five, at the very least, not out of the realm of possibility. I'm not saying he definitely would have, but it it surely I think would have been in consideration. Sure. Drake London went eighth, and I you know, um, so I think about that, and that's like a really strong, really strong draft pick or really strong draft capital, and we haven't seen basically anything to suggest that he's not that player. So he comes with all the risks of every rookie, which is like a substantial chance of just busting. But the idea that, you know, last year he was almost entirely hurt. He obviously has the gambling suspension. I don't think it's a reflection of his abilities on the field. Yeah, he was battling some injuries in training camp. But like and he had one, he's had one game this year, which he had like he had two receiving yards. But I would say he was also on the field forty-seven percent of the snaps, which is a lot more than I expected for that for that first game. And so all I feel like is like it's basically a blank slate. And so if I felt like he was a good wide receiver going into his NFL career, which certainly the NFL did, then we should still think that. Yeah. I'll throw a couple of things out there. One, I think that bolsters your argument and one that might detract from it. I'll bolster it by pointing out the Lions didn't just draft Jamison Williams high, but they traded up to draft Jamison Williams particularly high. I don't remember the exact uh, draft value. I think it was the one where basically if you're using the Jimmy Johnson chart, it looked like a, ter- like a terrible deal for the Vikings. Yes. And if you use like our model or chase Stewart's model or any other model it's like a big win for the lions um the, the viking the lions there's like big win for the vikings i just said the lions traded 32 34 and 66 for 12 and 46. so they value jamison williams as not being more than simply a you know your typical 12th overall pick they valued him as a top 10 selection in the draft so that might bolster your argument I'm not willing to hand wave the gambling suspension off. I I feel like it, it doesn't make you a bad person. Uh, obviously not. We both gamble. Um, and, and I understand that the league's rules about gambling were clearly more opaque and not more opaque to the players than it seemed like, given that all their lions were suspended. So I'm willing to just believe that the lions did not do a very good job of communicating the rules about the gambling uh, policy to their players. It also seems like a really easy rule to avoid not breaking. And that does concern me. doesn't mean that he's not a smart person. doesn't mean that he's not a, you know, someone who's going to follow the rules, but does mean that like there was like the tiniest possible, uh, you know, hiccup to avoid and he was unable to avoid it, which is um, concerning to me. And otherwise though, on the field, I agree with you. I think you could maybe make a case that his return from injury was took a little longer than maybe the Lions would have hoped. But but with torn ACL, I think he tore his ACL in January, correct? 
that sounds right. I believe he tore it during the college the football playoffs, playoffs, right? Yeah. So you know, he he came back in really November, which is fine. Like not not faster than you would hope. Not like crazy Aaron Rodgers doing uh, Achilles healing with dolphins <laughs> kind of return but overall pretty solid and he was he he caught one target one, one reception on nine targets for a 41 yard touchdown like he was not a focal point of the offense he didn't just step in immediately i'm not too concerned about that um i don't think that changes how i feel too much he was not a regular part of the offense the offense was clicking it wasn't like they needed a spark and had to get him in so um I don't think the on-field opinion has changed very much. So I mostly agree with you, but I am a little concerned about getting caught up in a thing that's really easy not to get caught up in. Fair, 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 fair. I'll take the mostly agree with me. But overall, I think it's a good sign. Um, I, I think it's a good opportunity to, you know, buy low if you're a fantasy football owner. I think if you're, if you're someone who knows people who are skeptical of Jameson Williams, like a bet for the rest of the season might be good. Like, I think he's going to be like all, the, the evidence we have at the very least to your point about draft position suggests he's going to be a good NFL wide receiver. I don't disagree with you there at all. Bill, can I, I did not prep you for this. Can I ask you Please. one Bill Barnwell take that I like, I have one it. in mind, but I want to know where you, where you stand now. Go for it. As we all know, you hate running backs personally. I, I do. That's true. All of them. Yes. And I want to know if uh, you would take Bajan Robinson in the first round. Ooh, no, because the opportunity cost is still a problem. Yeah. Like, like when I wrote my column on Bijan last year, I, I laid out the, the sort of, I tried to separate the thing of, okay, how good are we at drafting running backs? The answer is terrible. How good are we at, um, you know, finding running backs elsewhere were really good. And the third one was the opportunity cost. And I think that's the biggest concern is it, it's not just that Bijan Robinson might not be a good back, although by all accounts, it looks like he is. He looks great so far and an exciting player and fun as hell to watch. Um, but it's that thing of, okay, you didn't get to add a player to your roster who was harder for you to find. And we're seeing what the Falcons, boy, they could use a quarterback outside of last week, or boy, they could use more defensive help. They could use another edge rusher. They could use a Tyree Wilson type. Maybe they were going to take Tyree Wilson if it wasn't for uh, him going the pick before. But like you got the idea. And, and I think that the part that I find so frustrating with running backs necessarily in the argument is like, if any team should have known they could get good production, valuable production out of running backs who were not seen as significant players. It should be the Atlanta Falcons who had Tyler Algier putting up great numbers last year, who had Corderell Patterson putting up great numbers the year before. So I think Bichon is a really good player. I, I don't, I feel more confident about that than I did before week one. I, I already thought he was going to be a good player. Like, I don't think this has ever been that I'm skeptical of Bichon, the prospect relative to other running back prospects. Um, but like we've seen, Bichon has been really good, and the Falcons' offense has kind of stunk. Like they're twenty seventh in points per game, and they're not playing at a fast pace necessarily. Uh, that's part of it. I think they're a little better than twenty seventh. But like, what does it tell you 
and this is the same thing we have with Saquon Barkley, his first year with the Giants. What does it tell you if Bijan Robinson is looking great, being the kind of player you'd want, and the Falcons' offense is still terrible? Like that doesn't happen with a quarterback. Um, doesn't prove that Bijan's a bad pick, but I just think uh, my concerns there still are warranted. How do you feel? Would you change your opinion on Bijan? Uh, I mean, my like I think more of him with I'm, I'm with you in that I I think more of him. Uh, that I did at the time. And like the receiving element that he brings certainly is, it really helps. Would I take him in the first round? No, I'm with you uh, though, because of, because of the opportunity cost. I mean, I think you, you could make the counter argument to what you said about the offense. Cause people could easily say, you know, Garrett Wilson was pretty amazing with the jets in 2022 and uh, the, no that offense wasn't, but like in general, we see this all the time and uh, a running back playing, well and the offense not playing well and so no i it doesn't it doesn't change my mind you know i think i like have come around on uh like christian mccaffrey's value and that's but i think i that's saw like, it in your <laughs> yeah this is my it's like big big uh off my priors mia culpa week for me uh <laughs> uh by by and because of the but like i that that's kind of a different it's a more extreme case um, because of what he brings. But I think, so I think the receiving really helps. It makes me think twice, but I would have a really hard time in the, in the first round because of what exactly what you said, the opportunity cost to get a player at all these more valuable positions is, mm-hmm. is just so high. Yeah. Well, I teased it. So you might as well plug it here. Where could people check out your latest work and what is it about? On ESPN.com, I wrote, I, I do our uh, trade deadline grades and I did them last year and I went back and was regrading them and, and judging off the results. And I panned the McCaffrey trade at the time. 49ers fans were very kind to make sure I didn't forget about that grade, uh, you know, just show how much they've been reading the work. Uh, and uh, yes. <laughs> every day since that deal. Uh, and they were right, you know, they were, they were right. And I wrote about, uh, reasons why I felt like McCaffrey's impact, you could see his, you could see in the numbers, his impact beyond just his box score production. And that was really what sold it for me in terms of the value that he brings to the 49ers. Uh, but we went through a whole bunch of other ones. I wasn't always wrong. So that's, that's cool. Uh, and uh, check it out. I like it was a fun, it was a fun exercise and a fun thing to do ahead of this year's deadline. And let me just say, Bill had 15 hypothetical trades. Most of them are player for player today, which is which is absurd. And I say that because earlier this year I did a hypothetical trade story and I like agonized over five. And you did <laughs> 15. And I'm like calling people. I'm like, is this an, is this a really bad trade? I'm not trying to and and you did 15 player for player. It's just like a on another planet. I, I feel like I don't know about you. If my job was just fake trades. I, I love my job. I think I have like the 99th percentile outcome for my my skill set in terms of getting an opportunity, a job that I love. If it was just fake trades, that'd be 99.9. That would be that would be uh, three standard deviations above the mean for me. Uh, just incredible. Well, it's super fun, but I just think it's. I also th- I think it's challenging, which is also why I think. Oh it's, sure, it's fun. It's really challenging, and I uh, and so that's why I agonized. And I, I don't know, maybe, but do you agonize? Of course I agonize. Of course I talk to people. Of course I'm like, oh God. And you know, I never know how I feel about them until 
they get published and I hear in the course of like 10 minutes, one the, the people on one side of a trade, like the, their fans saying, oh, that trade is terrible. We'd never do that. And then the fans on the other side of the trade, five minutes later saying, oh, that's terrible. We would never do that. I'm like, and I know it's a good trade <laughs> if you all hate it. It's perfect. It's fun. Uh, Go read them. It is. Go, re go read Seth's article. Check out Seth on Twitter. And Seth, you know it's always a blast having you on. Thank you so much. Thanks, Bill. Of course, definitely recommend checking Seth's work out. I want to add something here. Uh, we've been doing this every week here. Still has no idea for a name. I still have no idea for a name. Um, but I want to talk about something that I think a lot of people have hit on this week after what happened to the Patriots and the debacle they've had over the last couple of weeks. And the idea that the Patriots should fire Bill Belichick, will fire Bill Belichick, should move on from Bill Belichick. I'm, all those things seem on the table after what's happened over the past two weeks. The Patriots are one and four. Their one win is over the Jets. They look like an absolute mess on really both sides of the football, but especially the offensive side of the football. It looks like Mac Jones has never played football before. They have 0 0.6 uh, expected wins by the Pythagorean formula through five games. Not a good sign. So should the Patriots fire Bill Belichick or should they remove some of his power? Should they change how they approach things? Let's go through what he does. So let's talk about first Bill Belichick, the coach. Bill Belichick has been an incredible defensive coach over the past 40, 50 years. And, and that to me has not changed. I think in terms of getting the most out of your personnel, in terms of uh, building game plans on a week-to-week -week basis that are flexible and pliable and work and play to your strengths of your defense and molding players from undrafted free agents into valuable contributors. And I know there's the classic, like every second round pick at cornerback doesn't work out, but um, you know, drafting and developing players on defense, he's excellent. Even signing players as free agents, he gets more out of them than other good teams. I think about Matt Judon, who, you know, was good for the, the Ravens, was not necessarily seen as a superstar. I know they I think they franchised him and then let him leave in free agency, but um not seen as like a guaranteed, like, you know, top tier TJ Watt, Miles Garrett level pass rusher. And he's been very productive for the Patriots when healthy. He's of course now done for the year, as is Christian Gonzalez, their first round pick, who was awesome to begin the season. Bill Belichick, I think, still adds significant value as a defensive coach. The offensive coach, not so much. And I don't think Belichick was responsible for how the offense is played, but he is responsible for who is coaching the offense. And I think when you think about Belichick, the executive, when it comes to the coaching side, that is a big problem. Bill Belichick's coaching staff for years now, I believe, I haven't gone through every single staff, but certainly his staff last year, his staff this year, there's a very marked trend through those staffs, which is they fit into one of three categories. If you're a coach for Bill Belichick, you either have coached for him in the past, you've played for him in the past, or you're one of his children. Bill Belichick runs a closed shop. At this point, they are not bringing in people from outside the Belichick tree, whether it be as a coach or as a player, to supplement this coaching staff. When Belichick lost Josh McDaniels, who of course had been a, uh, a retread hire for the Patriots after he failed first as a head coach, when uh, McDaniels left for the second time, the Patriots 
brought back Matt Patricia and Joe Judge, former coaches who were not offensive coaches for the Patriots, to be the offensive coaches. That went terribly. This year, he brings in Bill O'Brien, a frankly qualified coach, unlike Patricia and Judge, a guy who was a uh, offensive coordinator in the past, a play caller, a head coach at Penn State with the Texans, um, and an offensive coordinator at Alabama last year. You know, I think all of that is a, a very reasonable resume. I don't have an issue with them bringing in Bill O'Brien, but even the other candidates the Patriots were interviewing, I believe at the time, I have to, I don't remember exactly who it was, but I believe some former players in the mix there as well. It wasn't like they went and interviewed someone from Kyle Shanahan's staff. It wasn't like they interviewed someone from Mike McDaniel's staff. It wasn't like they, you know, interviewed people who I think we see more on the cutting edge of offense. And Bill O'Brien, you know, at Alabama, that's a relatively modern offense, lots of RPOs. Um, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with bringing in Bill O'Brien, but clearly not off to a great start there with the Patriots. And then Belichick, the GM. Uh, some issues with who they brought in in free agency a couple of years ago. I didn't love the John M. Smith signing. Didn't love the Nelson Aguilar signing. More ambivalent about guys like Devon Godshow, Hunter Henry, um, Kendrick Bourne, those deals have been more promising uh, over the course of this process. And Judon was a great signing. I don't think there's any issue with bringing in Judon. The drafting has been pretty bad the past few years. There's guys like Kyle Duggar who have been impressive. Um, but I mean, don't mention and kill Harry to a Patriots fan if you don't want to see them cry or attack you. It has been just a a real mess with the Patriots when it's come to adding receiving help. Taekwon Thorne in last year got hurt, but um, there's questions about Mac Jones. Ronnie Perkins drafting in the third round has not, did not make an impact in New England. Um, Josh Uche eventually developed into a good pass rusher, but guys like Anthony Jenkins, Stefan Asiasi, Dalton Keene, the, the Harry draft. I'm just going to list some of the guys who were picked after and kill Harry, just for torture's sake, I guess, with the Patriots. Um, Debo Samuel, AJ Brown, DK Metcalf, Deontay Johnson, Terry McLaurin, Hunter Renfro, like you could have just picked a wide receiver at random and waited them by Mel Kuyper's grades and you would have been better than the Patriots picking and kill Harry. You could maybe put some of that on development, put some of that on on the choices that Belichick's making versus the scouts, but you get the idea. Like Belichick's drafting has not been great. I've said all of this and maybe you're thinking I'm going to tell you that Belichick should be fired. I don't think that's the case. And I'll go back through those arguments. A lot of coaches are worse than Bill Belichick. I have to look at every single coach in the NFL every single week. I feel very confident saying what Bill Belichick is able to do for a defense makes him an above-average NFL head coach. There are defensive-minded head coaches, someone like Matt Eberflus uh, comes to mind, or even Robert Sala, where Robert Sala's you know, defense with the Jets last year was great. This year, it's good. I think they're 12th in the APA per play. Year one with some injuries was a mess. You know, It's not like having a defensive-minded head coach means you're going to have a great defense. Bill Belichick has been a defensive-minded head coach who has almost always fielded great defenses. We'll see if he can do it this year without his best cornerback and his best best pass rusher both out for the year, but that has not been an issue for Bill Belichick. I, I will say that some GMs are worse than Bill Belichick. There's plenty of GM hired each and every year who are not as good as Bill Belichick has been, even in recent years when it comes to drafting players. The, the Bears have had a string of them for about 20 years now, frankly, when it comes to the mistakes they've made. And I'm not saying that you should lean for the Bears, you should aim higher than the Bears, but 
like Bill Belichick's drafting has been subpar, below average, not terrible, below average, I would say, over the past three or four years. And I'm saying that to point out, number one, that it's not as bad as it could be, but number two, that Bill Belichick has a 20-year sample to work with. We have a, a huge, relative to other GMs, amount of data on Bill Belichick to say he's kind of in the middle. There's been stretches where he's been very good at drafting. There have been stretches where he's traded up for incredible players. I mean, this is a team that took Rob Gronkowski in the second round. That took Asante Samuel late. Um, that took Tom Brady famously. I should probably mention him first uh, late in the sixth round. And even if they did not know Tom Brady was going to be Tom Brady, and of course they didn't know Tom Brady was going to be Tom Brady, they're the ones who drafted him. Like that's not. It's a bit of a fluke. It's not a total fluke that they took Tom Brady. Um, and having a quarterback like Brady makes those players better, but we've seen him land plenty of talented defensive players as well. Drafting is a a small sample exercise where we use it to base our opinions on, and this is true not just for Belichick, for, for other people as well. I remember when the Seahawks traded uh, two first-round picks to get Jamal Adams. One of the arguments I heard from Seahawks fans when I was critical of the trade was, well, we don't need our first-round picks because we're going to screw them up anyway. We're going to take players who get hurt, who aren't very good. And over the prior few years, John Snyder's drafts, especially high, had been pretty bad. And you know what? <laughs> they made that, that trade with the Broncos. They go out and get Charles Cross, who's a great tackle in the first round. They This year, I think Devon Witherspoon looks awesome. I mean, obviously, he blew up that game uh, on national television last week. You know, like uh, that, that that argument has been rendered null and void. And by the way, John Schneider, at the beginning of his career, with some help from, from Scott McLuhan, had two of the most incredible drafts we've ever seen. Certainly, the Russell Wilson draft was probably a top 10 all-time NFL draft, getting two Hall of Famers and him and Bobby Wagner in the middle rounds. Like, if you can fluctuate that dramatically from year to year, I don't know that we should make an argument that like you're a bad at drafting or good at drafting. I think it's mostly in the middle. and. What you can control is how you move around the draft board and the priority you put on different positional types. And Bill Belichick has been very good at that historically. So I think that Belichick, the GM, probably could use a little bit of work, might want to reevaluate some things, but he's not inherently terrible at this and he's not necessarily going to be worse than whoever you replace him with. And on top of all that, I would say when you get to the offense, this is the biggest weakness for Belichick right now is that the offense does not look good. You don't need to bring in a new head coach to replace Bill Belichick. You just have to modernize the offense and bring in some fresh voices. And what's interesting about this is Belichick was once a coach who did this. He brought in Chip Kelly and played with tempo before anyone else in the NFL did it. He wanted to learn from the most modern uh, college offenses. And now it seems like he's rejecting that. Or at the very least, before Bill O'Brien, the offense is not necessarily look very modern. It's better this year, but still not exactly cutting against when it comes to motion, when it comes to the running game, when it comes to um, the kind of players Belichick is pursuing. And I think that is a place where you can make hires to improve, but they can be on Belichick's staff. You don't have to hire someone to replace Belichick to have that be part of the offense. So to me, this is not a, we have to fire Bill Belichick situation. It's a refresh situation. It's okay, we've gotten as far as we have without Tom Brady with the personnel we have. What can we do to get them get more out of it? What can we do to change the way we approach wide receivers? What can we do to approach, change the way we approach 
the offense to get more out of our talent and to do a better job of identifying talent to build a better roster. And you can do that without Bill Belichick, but the benefits he adds in terms of how he manages the draft, in terms of how he manages defense, in terms of how he develops players, I would be reticent to give that up just to get a fresh offensive voice in the building. So don't fire Bill Belichick, but convince him to hire somebody else. All right, that's it. That's the show. Thanks so much for listening today. Hope you guys enjoyed my Belichick rant and hope you guys enjoyed uh, the much more insightful and thoughtful Seth Walter's opinions and what he's been willing to change from the first five weeks or five games, I should say, of the season. We'll have more audio coming next week, but thanks so much for listening.